Hello, this is Opera Unbound, a podcast that breaks the barriers between opera singers and the audience. We will cover the process, challenges, stereotypes, and inspirations associated with opera. If you like the content that we're putting out and you'd love to see more, make sure you subscribe to our channel as well as share it with all your friends. We are back after a hiatus. (laughs) Our last episode was... Uh, interviews with our cast of Elixir of Love. If you haven't checked that out, you know where to find it on pretty much every major streaming platform, or if you want to head to our Patreon page, you can find it there. Um, Today, we are talking about the entire process of putting on a production and the things that went well and the challenges that we faced. First, we're just going to talk about the general um, organization, uh, what what sort of things you have to do to put on a production. Um, obviously, you have to pick the show that you're doing. <laughs> we uh, did that prior to any other step we took. We This was a brainchild that came out of uh, the pandemic when it first started. We were like, okay, we started a podcast and then we were like, you know what? We've done some shows together. We can make this happen. And we wanted to pick something that had a small cast so that we could do it, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't want to make too big of a goal when it comes to funding and paying people fairly. You know, we weren't going to try and put on, like, the magic flute. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I I can't imagine trying to do that. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, Although I I was part of a production during the Omicron wave of the magic flute. And wow. It, it happened. We had the performances. Um, I actually don't think anyone in the cast got COVID. Our conductor got COVID like the first day. And then uh, I think one of our stage managers had it. But anyways, that tangent. Mm-hmm. So organizing the show. The, the biggest challenge was really finding a time that everybody could rehearse. I think Um, we wanted to be as flexible as we could with everyone. Yeah, totally. And because we're dealing with local singers and this is a pro and a con of dealing with local singers is that Mm -hmm. when you, for example, like Rachel's magic flute that she just mentioned, that was in Eugene, Oregon. Okay. So she can't, if you know, she can't always do all the normal job things in Eugene the the same way that she was if she was local. So we had to, you know, find places to rehearse that was convenient for everybody because Seattle's like a lot of cities where it's not just that you have your schedule, you have to deal with traffic. Yeah. Like the, I would say the Metroplex of Seattle Tacoma is not that big as compared to, you know, I used to live in Dallas and that is a huge Mm. Metroplex. I mean, you're talking hundred square miles plus yeah but yeah the traffic that you have to deal with can be extremely unpredictable which we had a couple of incidents where uh 
people weren't able to make it on on time you know and like we we of course understand because it's nothing you can really yeah (laughs) yeah that's true and i mean even within our rehearsal process which we'll talk a little bit more in depth uh as this episode goes on you know sometimes because of things like that you have to move things around and you know we just realized that not all rehearsals needed to be what we planned out like there's that whole uh point of diminishing returns on a rehearsal it's like well we said it was going to be x amount long but all we can really do is you know maybe 80 percent of it i'm like okay we'll come come back later and be better at instead of pounding it into the ground and not really going anywhere but hey we went that full time that we allotted so yeah you know it it all worked out Mm -hmm. we wanted to do our production in august and we had to push it back to september as our tenor that we had cast had another production come up i don't know if it was like a jump in situation or what but uh so we were like okay we we can accommodate that's something that isn't a big deal because we hadn't officially announced dates or anything yet when Winnie approached us. Yeah. We were literally about to sign the, the paperwork for the, the main venue that we were going to do. Like we had three performances, two of which were, uh, one was at Rachel's house and another one was at a friend of Rachel's house. So those were, you know, you can easily move those around versus you're yeah. paying to have a specific space. And actually yeah. it ended up being better for us because the the venue that we were going to go with, which is one that Rachel and I did um, Don Giovanni a long time ago. And they ended up because we had to switch it. They didn't have it available, but the venue that we did have that we did get had much more to offer like they did the live stream instead of us having to deal with it yep you know so it's just a a win-win even though at the time it's like okay here we go (laughs) how are we gonna (laughs) how do we get this you know uh to to happen and not have to wait even longer you know yeah exactly i'd say that was the largest challenging of organization otherwise i think i think things went really well everybody was able to learn the staging in the two weeks of staging rehearsals we had i think perhaps maybe one more musical run through would have been nice Mm -hmm. either at the beginning of the process or like a musical i mean we did do a musical review i guess we did have one rehearsal where we did that that was at at luke's church oh yeah that's right yeah so I think that all went well. I guess kind of, yeah, booking booking venues, uh, figuring out what dates slash times would work well. And I think we decided that Sunday would have been a better day to do the show at my place because we've done shows on Sundays before and they were well attended. So this kind of falls into somewhat marketing too. Um, mm-hmm. And... We did what uh, remind me, was it a Friday or a Saturday for the I think it was a Friday, was a Friday. at the, the Seattle Drum School, which I think is fine. Yeah, I think that one worked well. And then Ellen's house was a sun, a that was Sunday. A mm-hmm. Yeah, so Saturdays are weird here, I'd say, in Seattle. Mm-hmm. I feel like people really. <laughs> want to do like hiking activities and stuff or they don't tend to go to events on Saturdays and I feel the same way I either am going to go on a Friday night or I'm probably going to go to a matinee yeah that makes sense you know and 
with this part, especially that time of year, you know, September, there's still a lot of stuff to do outdoors. Mm -hmm. And people just got done with their rough week the night before. And like, I just want to not do yep. anything. Yep. So yeah, they're, they're going to be outside doing stuff versus going to a show. I felt like organization, was, uh, it took us a little bit to find a, a outside venue, but I don't feel like the organization of that was incredibly challenging. I felt like that all went pretty smoothly. Yeah. And I mean, because we did push it back, um, you know, September can be a, also a weird month weather wise. Yes. And so it's like we, we got lucky. Yeah, we really did get lucky. <laughs> Unlike if you followed this whole process, our last fundraiser, which was in May, it should have been decent weather, but it poured like crazy. Yeah. I think that covers everything with organization. What's what do we want to talk about next? I, I think the rehearsal process. I, I, I really I mean, I always enjoy the rehearsal process in projects like this because it's smaller. Um this is going to sound awful, but I'm going to say it anyway. I kind of like being in charge for the most part instead of having somebody tell me what uh -huh. to do and stage it within an inch of its life. <laughs> yeah, no one wants to be um, micromanaged. I... No, no, I I really get annoyed by yeah. that. It Honestly, as an artist, I feel like it really kills your like motivation to do anything artistically interesting because you're just worried about whether the person in charge is going to agree. Yeah, exactly. You don't experiment as much. Yeah, and the thing is, is in every single space we were going to perform in, it's a different layout. Yeah, yep. we had basic set pieces, but you got to deal with space stuff. Like yep. the Seattle Drum School was very cramped in comparison to the other venues. At your house, we had multiple levels. Yep. Um, You know, and so it was... It was really fun also to work with Rob and Ivy, who are who are really, really good performers, great yes. colleagues, Luke also. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I found interesting, I can't remember if we talked about this at the time, not only is Rob a great singer, great actor, Nemorino is in his wheelhouse. Like yeah, he absolutely. he's like the perfect Nemorino. But one of the things I found great about working with him is that like I came with ideas of what the staging generally would be, but I'm very much like, make it look natural. I'm not going to tell you what to do. If this feels natural, go for it. We'll let you know if it, you know, if it looks awkward. Yeah. 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 Or if it's just not working. And so Rob also came with great ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and then from a stylistic standpoint, because that's his also his wheelhouse when it comes to rep, mm -hmm. you know, there are things in the libretto and in the music that I wrote that he did not either sing at all word wise or he tweaked it to be more stylistically correct yeah. word wise. Yeah. And now I could have been a stickler about that. But I was like, well, one, what I wrote is fine mm -hmm. because this is a modern adaptation. There's, and it's also a completely like it's not a romance language. Uh, English is in versus the Italian. So there's going to be mm -hmm. just weird things anyway. It was at least for me, knowing what I know of the style, it was also musically and uh stylistically satisfying to hear what he did you know yeah. and let's just be clear anything that he changed was not like 180 degrees from oh, what no. i was trying to say no no no. it was just like you're having a conversation with somebody and you're let's say you're talking about idea and and you you choose a word but then somebody else says well what about this and you're like yes that fits better or i didn't think about that i like yeah. the way that sounds 
Yeah, because at the end of the day, what it really boils down to is how can we make this the most engaging show that we can while also making it as easy as possible for everybody trying to do this thing? Like, I've thought a lot about this a lot. Opera is impossible. <laughs> like, if you really think about it, it's you're trying to combine. Yeah, the level of all of these different things has to happen. Yeah, and like trying to tell these stories, especially if you're doing it in a language that's not mm-hmm. yours, which of course that's not the case with the show, and trying to get audiences to really buy yeah. into it, it's almost an impossible feat. So the the fact that opera companies are even still able to do it in the age of you know all the Netflix, Hulu, and all that stuff, it's it's just amazing. I I felt that our cast really did well working together, working through the issues. Yeah, and I've, so I was I I really had a great time. You know, we talked about Rob. The things that Ivy brought to the table, the way that she was able to play off of things that that uh, largely Rob handed to her in in an acting situation, and also the way that she approached um, mm-hmm. her character. I really loved the the nuances that she brought. I really tried to make Adina not just a confident woman or whatever and the the girl that every dude wants, but (laughs) yes, yeah, exactly. Modern women are not like the women in the time that this was written. Sure. Like our social norms and how men and women interact is very different. And so making her relatable while also like I... I sometimes nobody say anything yet, but I'm sure they've thought it because I probably would have thought it too. It's like, who is this dude thinking he can like write for a woman? Like, you know, that whole idea. And so I feel that between what I did write and the, the touches that, that Ivy brought to it, I, I think she mm-hmm. really sang it, not only sang it well, but portrayed it the way that I envisioned it. And so that's always, that's always great too. Okay. So. Um, so that kind of covers rehearsing. Uh, I feel like we kind of touched on casting before in an episode. The way we did it, we had people send us videos and then we invited people to audition. And I think the biggest challenge was finding a available accompanist for our auditions. And um, we actually ended up not being able to find somebody. So I played for the auditions and uh, I am not a pianist. I I made it happen. Crushed it. Um, I mean, you. <laughs> <laughs> I I played some chords and mostly bass lines. Um, but oh, that's right. We we actually had to change our audition dates because one of our candidates got COVID. Remember that? That's that. I mean, that's definitely something. Oh that yeah, that's right. We really had the freedom to to choose, and we only had a couple people that we invited to do auditions so we had the freedom to change dates and yeah this area seattle is if you're a pianist and you're looking for somewhere to move and make good money uh there are lots of opportunities for pianists here and we we do not have enough pianists oh yeah for sure no and it seems like a lot of our really good ones either are super busy because they have they're affiliated with the UW, the University of Washington. Or they work at a church. Yeah. Or one of the people that before I went to New York in um, 
2018, the one that we used to use a lot for stuff. She's now one of the main people, as I understand, at Fifth Avenue Theater, which is the big yes. musical theater company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she's always busy. Yep. So yeah, there's there's definitely opportunities. So pianists, come come move. The Pacific Northwest is great. I don't feel like casting was difficult for us. I feel like we had a really clear idea of what we were looking for. There were several artists that we were interested in and it just came Mm. down to who was available yeah like when we got all of the people's submissions and all that and we kind of narrowed it down not to like our final list of the people we were going to contact but Mm -hmm. like people who are sort of in the realm of possibility there's a lot of great singers on that list yep the the point of that is the future is bright when it comes to (laughs) having sopranos to ask to see if they want to do stuff Mm -hmm. so the next major thing is it's fundraising. Emphasis on fun, right? Yes. Oh. It's, uh, <laughs> it's fun when you first start, and it's uh, it, it's taxing. Yeah. Now, we've talked uh, quite a bit about part of our problem is that we aren't a 501c3 mm-hmm. yet. That is coming here uh, in this coming year, because then we would have a lot more access uh, access to funds. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's, it's kind of like our thing with fundraising, if you really think about it, it's kind of like a relationship. At first, it's all exciting. It's new. <laughs> it's shiny. It's minty. And then it just drags along, and pretty much you're yelling at each other all the time. Why aren't you ever there? Yeah. You yeah. don't give me what I need. Rachel and I, uh, you know, we're, we've been artists for a long time. And so, like, you have to thread that needle of not being annoying yep. on social media yep. while also trying to get people to spend their hard-earned cash mm-hmm. for something. And we did have a lot of really great donations from many people, uh, yep. some of which kind of came out of the woodwork. You know, you have, like, friends you haven't really talked to in a long time. Then all of a sudden, boom, they put money in your, your thing. Yeah. That was also really cool. Yeah, I think we had um, between 20 and 30 different people who donated. Um, we had some some big donors that gave a good portion of money, and they wished to remain anonymous, so I'll mm-hmm. leave that to them. We originally set a goal of $10,000. Uh, we made it halfway there. We, we mm-hmm. didn't want to kind of extend our fundraising too long because we it was about a year from the time that we announced we were going to do a show but i don't think we Mm -hmm. started fundraising right away no i think it was a couple months so it was probably about nine months of fundraising yeah and also we at the time were an unknown entity i mean rachel and i are not unknown in the area but us working together like we are it's a it's a new thing yeah, building a awareness that community engagement that has to happen in order to to seek funds and relationship building, all of that. It's work. I mean, this is people's full time. This is people do this full time for institutions, right? And we're two individuals yeah. who have full time jobs, also doing yeah. also doing this. So and don't have marketing degrees either. Right. So right. Yeah, and I, and really fundraising and marketing go hand in hand. So there's probably things that would definitely change strategies. And it's unfortunately when when you're working with any sort of online platform, it's the algorithms are always changing. And I think that was 
something that was really challenging to try and learn and keep up with. The fact that it's ever changing, it's like, well, we knew this worked or we know that it worked this time before, but now it's not working. And, you know, you can scratch your brain all day. Yeah, I think I had more success just, you know, working uh, personal network and going for fundraising that way than trying to reach into the ether and get people who don't know us or just follow us on social media to donate. Yeah, well, a new day is coming, as they say. And we tried merch, and that actually went nowhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got a cool tumbler out of it. <laughs> no one no one purchased the merch, which is something to learn. And, you know, perhaps it's just the level of following we have is not strong enough yet. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that's fine. I'm, I'm unoffended, just so you know. If you didn't buy the merch, I'm not hurt. I get it. Yeah. I still think, though, moving forward, if we have big donors, little things like that, you know, mm-hmm. that's just a little added bonus. So, yeah. So that's how fundraising went. Uh, I mean, overall successful. We were able to pay everyone a fair wage. Yeah. And that was, Which was the whole point. A, a major goal that we had was to reach the level of living wage. And that's part of the reason we kept the rehearsal process um, so neat and tidy, as I'll say. I think um, that is a not only... A, a worthy goal and really something that we're going to do with every show. But we could have had this show done a long time before it actually did. If we mm-hmm. didn't have that as a goal, mm-hmm. you know, we, we know enough people that either are just looking for anything to do mm-hmm. to look, I'll take a smaller paycheck. Cause this role is on my list of things I should learn, even though, yes, it's not in the original language, but whatever we could have done that, but that just perpetuates a stereotype and a systematic approach in our industry that we are trying to to not do anymore. Yeah, we're trying to end exploitation. Yeah, and I mean, we're not the only people that are trying to do this. As Oh, absolutely not, yeah. More people our age are coming into the leadership ranks of companies. It, yep. It's going to change. It's just it's going to take time. I think that just leaves marketing. Yeah, and we kind of touched on that. It's just a really tricky thing. And... um. You know, Rachel's partner helped us with some stuff, all that. But that's another beast that we are going to be tackling as we move forward. Yeah, um, we'll have to uh, put our learning hats on and and really go to school, do some marketing workshops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we knew who our target market was. Mm-hmm. We were try- experimenting with different forms of communication uh, using, yes, using social media, using email, um, personal conversations, all these different ways that you can connect with people in order to get the word out about your shows, right? Yeah. I mean, the only thing we didn't do is hypnosis, and maybe <laughs> that was our problem. You will buy tickets to the show. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> we were still dealing with COVID. I mean, that that to the extent that we were dealing with it, people were still in the Seattle area, especially wary about going to public events. Yeah. Every day that passes, that gets a little bit less and less. So, right. Oh, I mean, um, I've been to several shows since we did ours. And I mean, I have to tell you, very few people are wearing masks now. So I think things have have mostly moved back to normal 
and people are going i mean i so i went to tristan and isolde at uh, Seattle Opera and I would say it was at least 80% full I went on opening night and there were people there were people wearing masks I was wearing a mask a couple people around me were wearing masks but not everybody was wearing masks mm-hmm. um, and it was no longer a requirement of the venue so and then I went and saw the Wiz at the 5th t- two weeks ago I guess great show very, mm-hmm. I was very impressed loved it um, and I could probably count on my two hands how many people wearing masks. But when we mm-hmm. were when we were doing the show, uh, we only had one indoor venue, and mm-hmm. I don't think masking was required. I think it was optional. Yeah, it was optional. Um, but I just think the number of people who were concerned um, about the risks impacted our attendance. Yeah, I think so. And hopefully going forward, we'll just be able to, uh, I think being able to market much in in a more extended fashion too probably would have helped. Yeah, yeah. If we would have had a little bit more lead time when everything, you know, because everything was shored up, that would have been, would have been a lot more effective. Yeah. But, yeah. But, you know, these, that's just, we're weighing out the challenges that we faced. These are things that we can learn from and and hopefully uh, have sold out shows next time. That's our goal. We want sold yeah. out shows. Yeah. Every single one of them. Yes. They're going to be beating down the door to get in. And unfortunately, <laughs> our huge bouncers are going to have to push them back, you know. Yeah. Because I felt like I feel like our pricing, ticket pricing was good. Oh, mm-hmm. we we did live streaming. Yeah. On the first first show and i we had actually pretty good attendance i'd say for live streaming yeah i didn't we have like 30 or 40 something like that i'd have to double check but great great turnout for live attendance live stream so that that worked for us actually i i think definitely having that as an option for every show we do is is incredibly important because well one i would say it's easier to make money that way because people don't have to do anything except plop themselves in front of their screen whatever it's mm-hmm. being put on instead of mm-hmm. you know dressing up and well, whatnot. it's just and th- it's another level of accessibility right yeah that's what I'm, yeah that's what i'm saying so yeah i think that it's it's definitely i mean i never would have really considered that for as small of a project not to say that our project is small quote unquote but like local do-it-yourself kind of production instead yep. of with an actual company yep um, I never would have considered that ever if it wasn't for COVID mm-hmm. and being forced to have everybody do that essentially mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. learning how to do it. So that kind of wraps up our process. I'd say overall, we had a very positive experience with some challenges that we will be wor- learning from. And um, as we go forward into our next projects, which we mm-hmm. are um, discussing future shows. Uh, first, obviously, uh, getting our 501c3 all organized and put together will make um, funding easier, not only because people are more willing to give money if it's tax deductible and it's a more formal institution that they can have accountability and accreditation for, but that also uh, allows you to have access to more grant money 
Yeah. Some of the shows that we're looking at, either the way that we're doing it or the specific story that we uh, that's just there, there may be specific grants that want to focus those kinds of stories being mm-hmm. told. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's going to be a huge thing for us. And uh, either way, we have great ideas that we are ruminating over. And thankfully, we have a lot of really great singers in the area. Uh, so I think... Um, Number one, stay tuned for yes. when it's announced. Yes. Uh, there's other companies in the area that are starting to have new futures, too. Mm-hmm. So I think that the Seattle area is really going to be in a much better place, say, two years from now than it was the year before COVID. Yeah. And, um, we, and we've and we definitely talked about uh, the possibility of doing collaborations with other organizations. Yeah. Because I, I think that the more collaboration we do within our own industry, uh, it's only going to build more strength mm-hmm. for for all of us. Yeah, and when you collaborate, it tends to cut down on cost mm-hmm. also, depending on uh, how you're doing it. Like- it's, it's so interesting when you look at the history of opera, especially in the United States. Uh, I think I've touched on this before, but when opera came to the U.S., it was traveling tours like we see with musical theater. You had troops of singers who would put on concerts or, you know, small operas in different performing venues, and they would just travel around to different cities because there wasn't set, uh, the, the tradition of having an opera house was not really a thing that was brought to our country from the beginning and part of that has to do with prohibition of opera for a good uh on nearly a i'd say like 60 or 70 years not quite 100 um Mm -hmm. this idea yeah of of having a traveling show i mean we see it with school tours obviously that's something that happens but and it does happen at large companies. Large uh, companies will, we're all going to pay to have this production made, like to have the sets and the costumes. Yeah. Made. We're all going to share that cost. And then we're going to do the show. It's usually not, doesn't end up in the same season, right? It might. Yeah. You'll see the same production travel around to three or four different companies at the large yeah. state. Yeah. That, that cost sharing endeavor reduces the impact that it has on your singular budget and yeah that's and and also you're especially as you're talking about share like having the same cast you're exposing your region to these artists mm-hmm. you're saying like hey these are local artists and not only um can you see them here but you can also see them here and you can see them here yeah exactly and th- my main thing also with talking about is like you're not competing for the same audience like no. at all no absolutely not so it's a win-win for everybody yeah. and i like win-wins <laughs> well and the, and the whole idea of like really competing with other companies in in the same region you know honestly like your target market's probably different yeah shotgun or spaghetti on the wall just doesn't work that well no it doesn't (laughs) (laughs) but i mean that's what's really great about what we do is that we are doing that at all we are very targeted Mm -hmm. uh and we're targeting a market that most companies kind of like meh if we get them cool yeah sure they're like young (laughs) like there's lots of them they're not, generally speaking, dying off anytime soon. Not to be crass, but like they're mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So get them now. And then when they are the age bracket that other people go through, they'll have so much, their roots will be so deep yes. in an opera that they're going to. Yeah. They'll have a, uh, a nurtured relationship with opera. So yeah, that's, uh, that's what's going on. And, uh, you know, life has been a little hectic for both Mike and I. So that's why it's been a little while since we've done a podcast we're trying to come up with a plan to get regular podcasting back to you we don't want you mm-hmm. to feel neglected life happens and sometimes you have to step away from certain things and for both of us that was kind of podcasting but we also know that all of you know that your heart has grown so much fonder of us yes. because our absence <laughs> has been away <laughs> I can't even do that with, I can't do it with a straight face. Um, we do understand that the regularness of the podcast does help in its um, success in many different ways. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's just one of those things where now that we are through, especially the holiday season, pretty much, it's Christmas Eve Eve uh, when we're recording this. Yep. A lot more time. Yeah. And, I mean, I just had, so, so I had projects and then i took on a new teaching gigs tom is busy i don't have much free time and yeah i mean i do for the next couple months sort of i I don't have a performance until march um Mm -hmm. unless one pops up then i'm busy march april may possibly june july nothing in august Mm -hmm. september october i'm available for messiahs when it you know (laughs) the next november december rolls around just so you know (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too man i haven't done messiah since 2019 i love that piece yeah i did one right before covid hit yeah it was my last actually me too messiah but it was kind of not, I, t- I told everybody like you know a lot of our our uh, colleagues are doing multiple sides and i was like you know honestly i was kind of glad i didn't do one this year yeah it was i had so much other stuff going on it was really nice to not have that stress yeah the last one i did i was still in new york at the time Mm -hmm. i well i did two in the span of two weeks Mm -hmm. but one of them was at, and not many people get to perform at this place it was at the the west point chapel like the military academy Uh chapel it's like from the 1800 like all stone it was it was really cool definitely that i love handle but yeah i i love that stuff it just needs to be done more. I mean, everybody knows Messiah, so it's like if you like the right. music of Messiah, just mm-hmm. generally speaking, then mm-hmm. you should love all of Handel's it stuff because it all sounds the same. <laughs> I would don't say that. <laughs> it, well, it it doesn't all sound the same, but when you hear a Handel you, piece yes, versus there, a Bach piece, you know markers. Yeah, actually. One of the things that's cool about people like Bach and Handel is that they have like solo cantatas. and that concludes our discussion of putting on your own event or project. It can be really rewarding. It it may seem like a very large mountain that you have to climb, but uh, if you have several colleagues that you would like to collaborate with, put together a plan. Get the organization part done. Look at your your funding resources and and go for it. Yeah, totally. And you don't have to start at something as big as what Rachel and I did. Yeah, like could just be putting on your. First. I don't know if you're like me, but again, kind of going back to what I said earlier, it's not that I'm a control freak, but I it's a lot better to do music that you want to do. Yep. Organize your own stuff. Very artistically rewarding to be at the helm of what 
what you get to sing artistically, what you find fulfilling, what speaks to you or what you think will speak to other people. I mean, that's really the, this is what I tell all my students. They're worried about being nervous. And I'm like, change the mindset to think about it as I really love this music and I want to share it with you because I think you'll love it too. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that sentiment, you know, because there's a lot of music out there, number one. Mm-hmm. But number two, especially some of the stuff that I do in my recital work, like uh, I submitted a program to one of the uh, concert series in town and it's got the Kinder Toten Leader, which is the songs about dead children. Mm-hmm. The Roram War Scenes, which is Walt Whitman describing mm-hmm. the Civil War. It's pretty graphic. The Don Quixote or... Don Quixote once mm-hmm. by Ravel and then uh, the Vaughn Williams songs of travel. So it's like, okay, these are things that speak to me. And a lot of people are like, wait, you want to talk about like the, it literally says in the war scenes, like his head is blown off mm-hmm. or the mother yelling at the father for letting the kids go out in the middle of a storm and now they're dead. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, it's like them going up to heaven. Yeah. This sounds very crazy like why would you want to put on a program like that i'm like because there are people in that audience that are going to relate to that message i am yeah. mm-hmm. just the messenger mm-hmm. don't be afraid Certainly. thanks for listening to this podcast episode for more information about the podcast or for extras check out our patreon page www.patreon.com opera unbound ciao